The reading this morning is taken from 1 Timothy 6, uh, verses 17 to 19, and it's on page 1204 in the Bibles. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You've probably had a clue from the reading what we're talking about this morning, at least part of what we're talking about. Yes, we are going to get to the money conversation because we're in a vision series and uh, thinking about who we are as a church, and at some point we have to talk about what it costs. But, as you'll see in a moment, I want to frame it differently than just a talk about money. And so if you're here for the first time, you're a visitor, welcome. Um, you can be part of this big adventure we're on. We're in a vision series where we're asking the question, what does it mean to be the church in a new world? Have you noticed that things are a little bit crazy out there? Not entirely sure who's in charge right now, if I'm really honest, but thank the Lord that he is uh, sovereign over all things and outworking his plan for the renewal of all things through the local church, you and me. And that's what we believe we're in. We believe we're in a moment in time a moment in history, what we call a kairos moment in New Testament language, where God is doing a particular and significant thing in history through the church. God never wastes a crisis, and the whole of culture and society is going through massive changes, which will take some considerable time to work themselves through. And in the midst of that, there's a call on us to be a church that is apostolic, pioneering, confident, creative, humble, compassionate, brave, all in. And the invitation I'm giving you again and again is will we be that kind of church? Will you say yes to being part of that kind of church? Jess talked last week a lot brilliantly about this simple truth that you and I are a family in God. And it's a family job. It's as family we go. It's not as some organization that we do it. It's as brothers and sisters in Christ. Each and every single one of us who call this our home is needed and wanted and has a part to play. And we all need to play our part so that the whole body can be all it needs to be. And so we talked a little bit last week about the fact that in family life, there are jobs that need to get done. There are teams we have here to make sure that when you walk through the door on a Sunday morning, there is someone giving you some nice coffee, that there's someone looking after your children if you have children, that there's a worship team, that someone's put the chairs out. There's loads of teams here that make family life happen. And if you weren't here, or you didn't get around to signing up for a team if you're not currently serving on one, I want to remind you, that is kind of the deal with family. Everyone mucks in. Just like when you gather your own biological families together for events. There's just things that got to get done, right? Last time I checked, it's not a spiritual gift of washing up, but someone has to do the washing up. So you hear what I'm saying? Nudge, nudge, sign up, sign up for a team if you haven't already. 
So we're in this moment in time where God's doing an extraordinary thing through the church, wants to. He's reminding us that it's as family we do it, that we're all in, that we need to do this together joyfully and wholeheartedly. And what I want to do this morning is talk a little bit about what it means to give ourselves to that and to give to that in the biggest possible sense. So I'm not just thinking financial giving this morning. What I want to do is paint two pictures for us quite quickly, hopefully, that will give you a glimpse, a bigger vision, if you like, of what giving is. So the first is just that, a bigger vision of giving itself, and then a bigger vision of what it is that we are giving ourselves to. When you put money into the bank account of this church, it is not just so we have the lights on. It's not just so that we don't run out of coffee. That happens occasionally, and it spreads panic in the community, I've noticed. Uh, Thank goodness that Mark is on it with coffee management. It's not just so that we can keep the heating on. It's not just so that we can fix the buildings. It's not just so that. It's so that through us, more of God's kingdom can come here in Worcester as it is in heaven. That's why we're doing it. So, first up, a bigger vision of giving itself. Giving, biblically, definitely includes money, and there's an awful lot in the New Testament about this. But actually, in its biggest sense, the vision of giving is actually that we give ourselves and everything we have to God. So when we think biblically, big picture, we need to be thinking about our time. We need to be thinking about our possessions. You notice in Acts 2, that early church, what did they do? They shared what they had. They were in and out of each other's homes. They gave to one another who had need. It was more than just putting money into a bank account and trusting that someone somewhere else is going to sort all of that stuff out. They did it together. It's about our skills, our experiences, the opportunities we can give somebody else, our spiritual gifts, our wisdom, our care, and our love. That's the vision of giving is what do you have that you can give to this great endeavor of the kingdom of God? Sometimes it's actually not the money stuff that's the biggest cost or the biggest thing we can give. It's that one thing we might be able to invest in somebody. It's that mentoring of a younger business leader that you can do because you've had more time as an entrepreneur. It's that coming alongside someone who's facing a long, hard journey and say, I'm gonna care for you all the way. That's what we're talking about when we talk about giving. And it's about giving freely and generously from all that we have, sowing it into the kingdom of God and the people of God. And two things make this possible. The first is a vision of what we're giving to and for, more of that in a moment. But the second is remembering that everything we have in our lives is itself gift. It's all gift. It's all because of God's kindness and God's grace. Yes, you might earn a salary, but that too is gift. The air in our lungs is gift. The life in our bodies, it's gift. Our possessions, our properties, if we own property, our money in the bank, it's gift. Our skills, our experiences, the stories we can tell about life so far, the gifts he's given us, the talents we've got, they're all gift. It's all from God. It's all gift. 
So even bigger perspective from the scriptures is that actually from the very beginning, God has shared with us and given to us all that is his so that together with him we can do something with it to see the world become all that he imagined it to be. And in Christ and through the church, it's about redeeming all that could be so that it will once again be what it was meant to be. And so James 1, we read this, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's all gift from God. The psalmist writes this in verse 1 of chapter of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That's the vantage point that I think we need to have as God's people. It's all his, entrusted to us, gifted to us, so that we might gift it back in worship and love and service so that in and through us the kingdom of God comes. So we could paraphrase that or rewrite that psalm if you like and put it like this, my life is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything we have is from God and everything we have is for God. None of it is ultimately for us, not for our comfort, ultimately. It's not for our pleasure, ultimately. It's not for our security, ultimately. They may be byproducts of it. It's so that we can join with God in the renewal of all things, as we repeatedly say. And this perspective, I think, is a game changer, if we can get it. And hands up at this point, I am very much in process. My personality type is one that, you know, naturally will be kind of cautious about resource. But actually, reminding myself it's gift what, what can I do with it is such a brilliant perspective we get to move from giving of all of those things I listed because we think it's the right thing to do to giving because we get to moving from sort of reluctant if we're honest giving because yeah tick the box signed up for this didn't I to actually what might we together do this is what Paul's getting at in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, a famous text on giving, he says this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, more of that later, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word in the Greek there is hilario, which is not the word that we get hilarious from, because that actually would have been hilarious. But uh, it literally translates as willing and happy. Paul's saying, give willingly and happily, because you see it's all gift. It's all there. It's the raw materials for the kingdom project. And so giving is more, of, more than duty. It's more than inconvenient reality. It's an opportunity to give back to God, to respond to all that he's given us by giving him our lives back and everything within them. And so the question becomes not how much should we give, how much time can I give, how much money can I give, how much of what I've got can I give. It becomes a question around how can I invest in the ultimate project. There's not a set percentage in the New Testament for any of these things. There's not like a simple metric. It's as we just read in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, responding to the leading of the Spirit, deciding in our hearts, in prayer, 
and giving willingly and reminding ourselves we need to do that repeatedly and regularly. That really it's about giving as generously as we can out of all that we have, basically. And as I say, it's not easy. I find it hard. We all find it hard in different ways. We all have massive challenges at the moment, more of that than none as well. So please know I'm encouraging us to do what Paul would say, which is pray and, uh, and be obedient, but actually be generous. But also remember that there's grace in it all. And it's the sum total of our efforts that makes the difference. All of that brings us to the second bigger picture, which is a bigger picture vision of what it is that we're giving to and for. Before we get to that, some news headlines on the finance front. I'm sharing this now because it's part of the backdrop of what I want to say next. And so I want to say first a massive thank you to those of you who are giving financially, whether regularly or as and when you can in one-offs, standing orders, whatever it is. Your ongoing commitment in that sense to the church family is huge, and given the difficult economic circumstances, is amazing. Now, we're going to send out more details and some nice graphs and pie charts and all those things in the next week or so uh, from the PCC, the church council, but here's the budget headlines for now. For those of you who like this sort of stuff, don't worry about writing it down, we'll send this out to you, Um, which I think you'll see, given all things considered, global change, global crisis, etc., is actually pretty good news. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of this, but the thing you need to note is that at the bottom, we are predicting a balanced budget by the end of 2022. So the budgeted income for 2022 is 364,000. Based on that, at the end of August, we've hit 221,000. And expenditure is a bit less. So expenditure has been reduced to match where, where the income is at. That reflects that some of the hoped-for giving hasn't ha- increase hasn't come about yet, and we'll talk about that briefly in a moment as well, and there has inevitably been a bit of a drop in giving. But all things considered, to end the year with a balanced budget is amazing. And lots of churches, I can tell you, are not in that position, and that says something about you and the way that the church council, particularly in the staff, manage what we put in and where it's coming from and all that sort of stuff. But the key note, the thing to note is that we were aiming for a £20,000 surplus by the end of the year because we have a longer-term staffing cost to underwrite as some of the resourcing church money for some of those roles over time will taper away. Um, I can give you all the details if you're interested in this, but also because we want to invest in and sustain the growth that we're experiencing as a church. And we want to take seriously the call on us to really go for it in this season that we've been talking about. So balancing the books books is good, but really we want to get to the point where we've actually got more coming in so that we can sustain ministry and expand. It's all about growth. I don't really want to have to get into cuts. I'd love to go for growth. That's a slight subtle hint at any of you who've been tracking the politics, which I don't really understand, but I find fascinating. The point is that actually we're in a really good position if we can step forward in faith. Because any new giving or any increased giving will all go towards sustaining that vision and growing the mission and ministry of this church. We're not in a position where we're like, unless more comes in, we're going to have to start cutting. We're not in that position. Thank you. Thank the Lord. That is wonderful. But actually, we have a five-year growth plan that we have to commit to 
and work out because we want to be able to sustain what's currently happening. And some of it, as I say, is funded from alter alternative sources for a few more years. So it's nothing to worry about. It's really to paint you the picture of where we're at. So when we start to think about what we might imagine happening together, you can see that actually we can really go for it. It could actually really happen if we put all of our stuff in the mix together. Are you with, are you with me so far? Some of you are like, I want to see the Excel spreadsheet, Rich. Uh, you can. Uh, chat to Graham at the end. In fact, Graham, just right now, where are you? Just give us, can you stand, stand up? Graham at the back is our treasurer, all, all manner of hero, legend status. Um, I love Graham because uh, before every church council meeting, I basically say to him, Graham, I need like half a side of A4 kind of guide for the very complex finances because I'm not very good at numbers. And he sends me this email going, basically, here's what you need to know. Um, and if he can get me to understand it, which he can, he's a hero. He will give you all the details, and he's, we're really happy to talk to you about any of that, and he'll be around at the end. The key is, as I say, all things are now possible. We've weathered the last few years extraordinarily well, all things considered. And so we have this opportunity before us to build on that. And to choose, yeah, we're, we're not just going to think about it, we're not just going to talk about it, we're not just going to trust that someone else will respond, we're all going to go all in. So we'll talk a bit about finances again in a moment, but let's come to the text that Ali read for us, which comes towards the end of Paul's first letter to Timothy, and it's part of a longer section in that letter about material possessions and wealth. And in these verses, Paul is speaking to those he describes as rich in the present world. Now, caveat here, because most of us wouldn't describe ourselves as rich, would we? Not compared to the footballers who earn silly amounts of money or dot, dot, dot. But actually, if you look at it from a global perspective, and those of you in the room who work in overseas mission and all that sort of stuff will have this perspective uh, every single day as you go to work, we are actually rich, relatively, and certainly when you put it all together collectively. Some of us in the room have more than we need, some of us don't have enough, and we can work that out between us, and lots of amazing things do happen on that front. So let's hear it as it's meant to be intended, which is an invitation to us, who have more, most of us, who have more than we need, that we're actually relatively rich. Paul gives a warning and then an instruction wrapped up in a promise. So here's the warning, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. That word uncertain coming up again. It's particularly uncertain at the moment, isn't it? I know some of you are worrying about your mortgages. I know some of you are worrying about your pensions. I know some of you are thinking, I'm quite glad I don't have a mortgage right now. I understand that. I know there's all sorts of uncertainty. And so it's perhaps a good time to hear this, that actually the safest investment is the eternal one. He says instead, verse 17, we are to put our hope in God. And we do that by verse 18, doing good, by being rich in good deeds, being generous and willing to share. It's like when you're trying to get the kids together, you know, little kids, teaching them to share their toys. It starts right there. This is just a grown-up version of that. That's the instruction. It's to have a kingdom perspective. 
And here's the promise woven into these instructions, verse 17. God, the God who calls us to this, is the one who notices richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now that word enjoyment is actually a better translated around the sense of God gives us everything we need so that we can live the life he saved us for. It's not just nice stuff, it's the stuff that really matters. And he says this in verse 19, in this way we will lay up treasures for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Again, that big picture, longer term perspective that we may take hold of the life, he says, that is truly life. Because the life we really want it's not found in stuff. It's found in God. So Paul is really clear here, isn't he? There's this invitation to give ourselves to something bigger. The coming of the kingdom in full. The renewal of all things. Life as it's meant to be. Earlier this year, at the big weekend at the Poplars, we celebrated the most recent chapter in the very long history of All Saints Worcester. 20 years ago this year, the brilliant Paul and Viv, and they're online this morning, came here to lead this church into renewal. Some of you have been here from very, very, not necessarily that day, but not far off that day. And extraordinary things have happened because this community has given itself to that task, that invitation of God to be part of something significant. There is so much to be thankful for, and we shared story after story that evening back in June of lives transformed of people coming to faith, of the buildings beginning to be redeveloped, these two grade two star listed buildings that cost a fortune but which we love, of people being cared for, of lives healed, projects set up to care for those in need, not least the food bank that is 10 years old this year and needed sadly more than ever, of a church planted last year into Evesham, and so much more. And as I've been praying for this new season that we find ourselves in, I found myself wondering this. What if we're just getting going? Like, what if that is just like the introduction to a very long book of stories about what God wants to do through this church in this season? And then I come up through the steps, through the Georgian grade two star listed most unwelcoming entrance into a church ever, uh, sorry about that. And you probably don't notice this, but on the left is a long list of all the previous vicars, and it goes back to something I can't remember. In the days when everyone just knew each other by their first name, it says, it says at the beginning, there was a vicar here in such, and then it's like Henry, George, Bob. Um, and then the names got more sophisticated. But it reminds me that actually, in one sense, we're just getting going as the current all saints. But in another sense, we're part of this very, very long story. And we know there's been a, there was a church here before this building was here. So that list is not from where it starts. It's just from where records began. And so actually, maybe even with all of that, we're still just getting going. We don't know, do we? Rowan Williams, the previous Archbishop of Canterbury, said recently, he said, to all we know, we might still be the early church. It's a perspective we need to hold because the invitation is to be giving ourselves to something that will outlive us and that God willing will outlast us. They don't build churches like this anymore. It's very hard to knock it down. We have tried. Um, <laughs> sort of half joking. Um, what if we're just getting going? 
That's my question. What, what could God do over the next 20 years? Well, let's imagine it's 2052 and the church is gathering for a big weekend at the Poplars, celebrating 50 years of the renewal chapter. What are the stories that will be told? Who will be in the room that's not in the room yet? Lots, God willing. And what about 100 years from now? And what about 200 years from now? Like, that's the perspective of heaven. We get to be here because of people who've gone before us. I know you can critique why there are these big memorials on the wall. Because people gave money, so that they got their name on the wall. But actually, we're here because of the generations that went before us in this place. I'm more interested in the bread shelves that are just tucked in the corner that used to be on the door here. And when people came into church on a Sunday morning, if they had enough extra, they made an extra loaf of bread and they put it on the shelf as part of their offering. And at the end, my predecessors would give it out to the poor. It's just a very simple, primitive version of the food bank. That's the story we're caught up in, of this place. But actually, this place is just part of the big story unfolding from the scriptures we get, our, we get to write our names into that book, that ultimate story. So can you imagine with me just for a moment? What could happen if together we all go for it again and again? And those of you who've joined us recently, add yourselves in to this project. And we take all that we have and we offer it to God and say, do something extraordinary in this church, in these days, for this point in human history, to the people right here, right now, who are dying and who need to know you. Can you imagine our two buildings fully restored and in use 24-7 as centers of prayer, as centers of formation, of leadership development, as spaces for community, to gather in the lost, to bring people in here, to find ways of connecting to one another as a space for the creative arts, as a hub of evangelism. Can you imagine people at every stage of life encountering God miraculously and through one another, particularly children and young people and students? Wouldn't it be amazing to hear testimony every Sunday of someone else who came to faith? of people wanting to get baptised in such numbers that we have to do it all the time. I'd love to put a baptismal, sort of whatever you call it, thing in the floor here. Someone came to faith last week on Alpha, week three. An amazing story. It's happening. But I want to see hundreds, not a few. Can you imagine people getting to tell their story about how the love of God and the kindness of his people has brought them into community. They've been set free from addictions. They've had relationships reconciled. That they've discovered who they really are for the first time. Can you imagine more care for the poor of who there are more now than 13 years ago when we first came? Can you imagine helping them not only meet their needs but find life in all its fullness, the life that is truly life? Can you imagine 
planting loads more churches and, and growing this family of churches that we believe God's called us to be, of more leaders than ever being trained up and sent out. Can you imagine having all sorts of worship gatherings across the city because we can't fit everyone in here? I mean, the list goes on. That's what I'm thinking about all the time. That's what, that's what compels me to keep pushing us because that's what we're called to do. We sometimes talk, don't we, about the church on fire and the city alive. It's what we're giving ourselves to. You excited by any of that? <laughs> really? Yes. Good. Check in. So how do we do that? It's all gift. And, and so we think carefully and prayerfully about what we have. We, we recognize the challenges we face, our own realities, and, and we trust that when we do our bit and everyone else does their bit, together that's enough for God to do something extraordinary. And as I said, it's, it's our time, it's our talents, it's our homes, it's everything. So how? Number one, pray. Think, dream, wonder, imagine. Number two, it's find some ways to, to offer it. If, if there's a structure in place to, for that, then great. You know, maybe you could lead a new life group. We need some new life groups. Maybe you could help with kids' team. They're su super stretched. You know, some of the team doing scramblers this morning. That's their third Sunday in a row on scramblers. And some of them are mums whose kids are in scramblers or dads whose kids are in scramblers. Maybe you could help us with that. It's like, find an opportunity, meet the need. But what's God put in you? What are those skills and talents and ambitions and dreams that you want to leverage for the kingdom? If you're not sure where or how it might fit into church life, come and talk to us. It might be it's a new space for us to open up. It might be that I simply need to say, you need to meet so-and-so because they're already doing it. Come and connect in. And we are super aware, as I said earlier, of all the challenges that we're all facing, particularly on the financial front. So please know it's all grace. It's praying and dreaming and imagining and then trusting God. And in a moment, we're going to put up the QR code. There's a QR code for everything all of a sudden, isn't there, in life and therefore the church. <laughs> Gone are those bits of paper. And it might be you want to get your phone out in a moment and click it and go straight to the giving page and, and make a one-off extra donation. It might be that you're not giving financially at the moment and you want to start doing that. You can do it all online, but the team will be here at the back. There's a whole new, very nice, shiny giving point that Mark and the team have put in just to the right of the coffee space as you look at it from my perspective and they'll be there and you can chat to them. We're going to send out details this week on email for you to follow it through. But what I really want us to do at this point is to respond not just by thinking about our finances but to see that those, those are all wrapped up in this bigger invitation that I hope you've heard. To say yes to what we're imagining and dreaming and seeing. And that list I gave you of things, you need to add your own thing into that and start praying for that. I don't know how many people are in this church, but I'm praying that in, uh, by the, in five years' time, there'll be a thousand people in this church. That's what I'm praying for. Put some numbers to it. Dream big. Go crazy. God will do extraordinary things. But what we're really being invited to do is to say, God, I'm going to give everything I have are you hearing me this morning great would you stand if you're able I'd love us to ask the spirit of God to minister to us because it has to be in response to him